until the last day in our lives in the press conference. But here, I'm going to tell you the truth. So he's not the biggest, the fastest, or the smartest. So how does a lion become the king of the jungle? His mentality. Join us on our journey to educate and develop the current and next generation of coaches. Our staff strives to achieve our mission to give the game back to the players. One coach at a time. Visit www.coachedsoccer.com for all your coach education needs. Welcome back to the Coach Ed Soccer Podcast, guys. My name's Eric Claremont. Today, we've got Justin Flack for you. He's the Academy Director at Tonka United. Um, Justin has a wide array of experiences up in the Minnesota um, North kind of area um, in youth soccer. Today, we're specifically going to be talking about um, our experience on the United Soccer Coach Master Coach course and specifically his project, which I think you'll find fascinating, um, which really had to do with player development and improving the ability of players to scan before receiving, receive on the far foot. And um, I think you'll see from his findings that there are some fantastic findings that we can really relate back to um, player development in your own youth soccer environments. So how's it going, Justin? Uh, It's going all right. Um, It's... uh... I think we've received, what, 55 inches of snow this year so far. So, um, and I have two snowblowers and uh, <laughs> both of them broke. So uh, I'm shoveling uh, quite <laughs> no a bit way. lately. I'm pretty sure I'm getting carpal tunnel um, from shoveling. So I can't, I cannot around. relate. I cannot relate, unfortunately, because yeah, as yeah. I look out my window um, to the 75 degree weather here, um, in sunny Tampa, um, just unlucky, you know, just unlucky. But but listen, I'm I'm, I'm glad that um, you're not slowed in, and we we got a chance to obviously connect. Um, finally, you know, obviously, <clears throat> you know, as you said, this discussion I think is has been a long time coming because I really wanted to talk to you about really what what led you know to you wanting to 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 kind of delve into that. To, to the aspects that you did during your projects. But why don't you give, first of all, just a brief biography, just on your background, Justin, um, getting into the game and perhaps, you know, kind of what led you down the rabbit hole of um, player development and really focusing on um, this aspect, you know, linking your background in the game to now, um, you know, why you had such an interest in this in this project that you, that you uh, decided to... To, to, to kind of, um, you know, push? Uh, yeah, definitely. So um, grew up playing soccer in Westminster, Colorado. Uh, played there my whole life. Single sport athlete. Uh, looking back, kind of wish I played more sports. I think I'd uh, be a better soccer player. Um, at least maybe a bit faster. I'm the maybe the slowest person you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and... I looked at a bunch of schools uh, when it came time to jump into the college soccer uh, realm around Colorado, uh, a little bit outside of it. And there was a school in Moorhead, Minnesota, which is right on the border of North Dakota, Fargo area. So even colder than the Twin Cities um, that the coach, um, he and I just connected, uh, went up and did a tour of the campus, really enjoyed the the team, really enjoyed the atmosphere, and that's kind of how I wound up in uh, the tundra. Um, <laughs> played there for four years, really enjoyed my time. Um, towards the end of uh, towards the end of my college career, there I jumped into coaching. Um, I was just coaching on the side, um, as far as as far as college jobs go, not the worst one by any yeah, means. No, exactly. So I think I started with a U12 or U13 boys team um, and just, just started there in the winter. And uh, once I graduated, kind of got offered a full-time job with the club there. It was at the time called Tri-City Storm. Now they're Tri-City United. Um, and I was coaching full-time 
which I was pretty excited about and doing the social media, um, all the marketing work. So that was a nine to nine job and I was coaching all the U10 boys and U10 girls. So that was probably, uh, 40 players. Um, and then I was coaching a U17 girls team, which was, uh, a fascinating challenge. Um, you'd have like a U nine girls training session, then immediately have to jump to a U seventeen girls training session, and that was a I'm sure bit of a bit of a, a stretch. I'm um, sure. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so really enjoyed that, and then uh, my now wife got a job in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, working for Boston Scientific, and so we moved down to the Twin Cities and kind of been here ever since. Um, Hopped around several clubs, done some high school <clears throat> programs. Um, <clears throat> when I started this course, I was actually working for a club called Fusion Soccer Club, uh, one of the bigger clubs out here. And then um, started the course. I was with them working on this project. And then um, as soon as the project was actually kind of wrapping up, I got an offer to um, joined Minnesota United's Academy. Um, so I worked there the past two years, um, mostly with the U19 team. Uh, and I was also an administrator, um, also led the pre-academy. So various, uh, various roles there within the academy, but learned an incredible amount in just a short amount of time. It was a pretty amazing experience. Um, and then as things are, another opportunity popped up and now I'm back into the club space, out of the academy space, um, now doing coach education, where I oversee uh, all the coaches within this club, Tonka United, um, 10 and below, so including our rec program, so it's it's about 100 coaches that I kind of oversee and am tasked with uh, implementing a strategy to educate and engage and you know, kind of guide uh, this this group of coaches, mostly all volunteer coaches. Um, so that's uh, that's my new challenge. And um, tying that to your other question is just like, how did I how did I get into this? You know, this project. What are the things that you know excited me about player development? Um, I just I love working with a group of players and just seeing how they can improve over a short amount of time often um, and and just being able to have that impact and have that connection with players that's that's always kind of kept me in the game and really engaged even if it's long hours and you're always on the road and you never have any weekends um, but really the ever since I started coaching I just noticed this thing that was bugging me and it had been bugging me everywhere I went to just this, this idea kept following me. And it was this idea between the difference, especially in the youth space, the difference between winning and development. And I kept asking people and kept trying to seek out the information about like, what are, what are the differences? Cause we know that winning and development are not the same idea. There are shortcuts, especially um, the younger you get, there are shortcuts to winning soccer games, but it might not be developing. But I could never really get an answer as to what that meant. Like, what is what is player development? What is winning? And what I noticed is that every organization that I went to, they would say, we develop players. The other clubs are just focused on winning. And then I would go work for that organization that they were talking about. And then they would say the exact same thing about everybody else. So it was the same, same kind of story. And no one could really define it for me, which I found incredibly frustrating. So I'm doing all this research and not really getting satisfactory answers. So that's kind of what led me to this um, project that I wanted to put together is like, okay, how can I, one, define development, whatever that might be. And there's a million different criteria for what you could use. And then how do I objectively measure it? So how do I remove my subjective self from that and try and get closer to 
actually measuring something and then being able to, you know, show the players, show the parents, show the club, really show myself just like is what I'm teaching actually, quote unquote, developing whatever we define that as. Um, Because oftentimes the only answer that I could pull out of coaches, clubs, whoever it might be is development looks like building out from the back. So the ball goes to the center back, center back then plays it up the line. And that is development where if the goalkeeper just kicks it long, even if it's the right choice to make, that's not development. That's a direct style play. And that's trying to win the game, not trying to teach the players. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. Yes, very much a subjective uh, view of development rather than, as you're saying, objectively measuring it and trying to really see, you know, um, how you can define it. Right. I think that's that's a massively interesting, um, you know, kind of thing to to look at. So when you when you're going down this rabbit hole, what did you come up with with regards to defining development then? So like, obviously, you know, you have all of these multiple subjective measures that you're talking about. So is it building out of the back? Is it this? Is it that? What were the things that you found, um, you know, you know, really define development in the youth space um, for, you know, and, and, and again, this is a very open ended question, right? Because there's no right answer, right? But, you know, just from your findings, what, you know, where did, where did, you, where did you get to with, with that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think it's changed quite a bit even since the project, and I think it'll continue to change. Um, you know, there are a lot of different suggestions as to what development is. If your club has a quote-unquote game model, that's what you should aim for. I just finished up my USB And the idea of the game model is, you know, um, pretty entrenched in that methodology, I would say. I don't know if they would agree, but um, so that's one version is, you know, our club has a game model. Therefore, we define the player actions in these moments and you try and develop the players towards that game model. Um, So that's an idea. I think where I'm at now is... If I can create an environment where players have developed a wide variety of um, ways of solving problems, so they have an understanding of what a low block is and how to beat it versus a high press, or if they can switch from man marking to zodal marking to defending spaces, um, how do they defend in two versus how do they defend in three? How can they? Uh, how well do they adapt from changing systems four four two to a four three three? And so, I'm really that's kind of where I'm at now. Is um, the more versatile uh, a group of players is and and more principle based, I think that's kind of where I exist now. But again, this uh, this coaching philosophy seems to evolve. I think I think that's again, and it, it's great that it's evolving, right? Um, and I, I, I like your definition of um, development there—the ability to be adaptable in different situations, right? Um, because as you said, um, are we setting players up for success to be, um, you know, to be able to do things um, within the game and 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 work against different challenges? that they're going to come up against throughout their career, right? So are we preparing them for what they're going to, the multiple challenges, right? Um, and I don't know if you, you're privy to uh, Ben Bartlett. Have you have you heard? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. like constraints-led approach. I've been kind mm-hmm. of going down that rabbit hole. Just got the book Connected Coaching. Um, but he, he talks a lot about those types of um, scenarios, right? Where you're talking about not only a game model, but what are the objective principles of the game what are the constants of the game that, that that u.s soccer as u.s soccer puts it right so what are things that are never going to change right so obviously you know width and depth you know um again creativity um so on and so forth right Re- regardless of whether you're playing it in minnesota or tampa um those principles are going to be you know within the game regardless of 
you know, where you're playing it. So I think, as you said, being able to now establish a framework for for developing different skills within that, right? That is perhaps not so narrow, but quite a lot, a lot more broad. Um, perhaps is is different to you know what what we've been led to believe, right? Um, with regards to what player development looks like, um, especially in a country as as you know as 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 large as the US, right? Where there's there's many different styles, as you as you might you know as you, as you say, um, you know we setting up players um, for success regardless of where they are in the country. So I think that's a that's a great answer there though. Um, so I think that's a perfect um, kind of segue into you know what you're talking about um, in your in your project, right? So talk to us a little bit. Um, if you remember uh, your gap analysis, do you remember your gap analysis and kind of um, what you found? Uh, I know you you spent countless hours on this, so um, I think but it's fascinating, right? To 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 think about okay, you know what was the you know what was the gap analysis? What was the issue or gap that you were trying to solve? And then um, you know just just take us into that a little bit. Sure. Um... Well, the gap that I solved was kind of what I alluded to before is that because we can't really objectively define or we can, but the work hadn't really been put in um, to really define it in a way that you could measure it. Um, it. It's pretty difficult then to especially make a claim to a group of parents um, or a group of players if they've had a losing season, it's like, oh, well, no, this is good for you. We're developing. Um, so without actually showing the proof for that, it's um, it's really an environment where um, you kind of left with if you don't win games, families will kind of leave, even if, you know, you are developing them. If you, if you don't have the tools to show them what you mean by development and that it's actually occurring, you're just left with this subjective space where, you just have to convince uh, parents, players, your club. You have to convince sometimes yourself that what you're doing is actually working um, and quote-unquote developing. So that's kind of the, the analysis or the, that's kind of the space that I was in. Um, it's just there weren't existing systems or tools for actually defining and... Um, measuring player development in a more objective sense. It was just left to too much subjectivity for me. Um, and so I wanted to, I obviously have a sense of what I believe development is, but I didn't have tools to actually say that it was occurring, um, even just for a, me personally as a coach. So it, it, working in my environment, how do I know for a fact that the players are learning what I want them to learn and then demonstrating it without my intervention, which um, I just needed some tools to kind of really build that. So that's kind of where I started is just, um, it's, it's kind of why every club or a lot of clubs all say the same thing. We develop players. They don't. Um, and if they're all saying that about each other, then it's like, what's what's actually going yeah, on here? Someone's got to um, be, yeah, someone's got to have have an agenda somewhere, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there have been attempts that have been made that I've seen. You know, we build a curriculum, we build a game model for the club, but it's like, okay, how do we actually know? That's great. We've done this. There are PDFs. We've got it on our website. That's great. We send out the email at the beginning of the year. We talk about it in the PowerPoint, in the team meeting, the coach meeting. Uh okay, what's next? How do we know it's occurring? How do we know it's uh, the players are actually understanding it and implementing it, again, all by themselves? Not all by themselves, but that's they demonstrate it on their own. They are recognizing the cues, not the cues coming from the coach. Hey, you're supposed to press there. Um, so that's just kind of the gap that I saw. It's just like, even if you have that stuff, which the club that I was working for, Fusion, they have a Fusion player develop, uh, Fusion Pillars of Development. 
which is actually what I ended up using because, again, defining development is difficult. So I just wanted to work within the existing framework that the club had. Gotcha. Um, and so that's that's kind of the tools. Right, and that and I, I see your, again, and your again your project objectives as I as I read them were to create a tool to objectively measure player development using those fusion pillars, as you mentioned. Uh, so we'll go into those, um, you know, as, as we as we move on. Um, but also, what was really interesting is using that tool to engage and educate players and parents about development, right? Because I think it's a two-pronged issue, right? It's one, you know, we're not objectively measuring, so we don't have data that, that backs up, okay, this is, this is how we're getting better, and here's the numbers behind it. But also, as you're mentioning, um, are we bringing the players and parents alongside us when we're when we're defining right what this development looks like because as you say it's so it's so broad um that word development or at least you know there there are so many different um definitions that clubs use um to define it that um as you say it's just whoever kind of shouts the loudest or at that moment in time or or just yeah uh, whoever's winning games so unfortunately it comes down to the physical ability of the players a lot of the time especially at u9 u10 right um so all things that are um probably not the best determinants of success over time right so um i, I completely i'm completely with you there um so so fantastic you, you set the scene perfectly well right you know you you you're in this conundrum you know basically you know everyone every club every club director and coach is saying you know we're the best we're the best you know we develop players look we're top of the table and all of this um everyone's saying the same things you know people are club hopping all over the place you know these are things that directors deal with on a on a year-to-year basis right so how how did you you know how are you going to um come up with a, a a way to solve this right so you know what were you going to do in your project that that you know what did you come up with to, to solve this problem sure um i i basically just took the fusion pillars um and there there are four fusion pillars i don't know if they still use this i haven't worked there in a while but um it was possession habits attacking principles defending principles transitional thinking um so things that were pretty tied to the game at least uh, it, <clears throat> on the surface it's you know relevant to the phases of the game um and each of those pillars obviously had different components to it and those were defined so again this is the work that um I think a lot of clubs do and a lot of great um, organizations are, are really trying to and really well-intending people are like they're doing the work to put in these things to actually try and define this very, very challenging thing to define, which is player development. Um, but then it was just, again, how do I measure it? So I kind of just designed it. It's not a perfect scientific study by any means, but um I basically just wanted to show improvement over time uh, uh, based on these pillars. Um, so I just really zoomed in on one of the pillars, which was possession habits, and took the existing language about positive body shape, receiving across the body, best angles of support, 360 awareness, which is scanning. Um, and I just set up a, a trial. I was coaching a U9 boys team at the time and it was the very very start of the season so these these boys just exited rec soccer and entered into traveling soccer here in minnesota and um i just videoed them playing 4v4 and i'll kind of talk about the reasoning why 4v4 here in a second but i just videoed them playing four versus four uh a couple different games um, for one training session. And then eight weeks later, I recorded the same group of players playing 4v4, same teams. And again, obviously, this is not a perfect study by any means. But And then I just took the two videos of those sessions over the eight weeks and just um, basically watched each clip and, and counted each time that the players executed 
each of these behaviors. Um, it took quite a while, um, but it was it was definitely I think worth it for my own understanding the the, the whole process um, and to actually see if player development was occurring or not. Um, and the reason I picked four v four was it's kind of got a lot of the elements it's really kind of the most simplified version of the game it's got width it's got depth um you get a diamond shape you get three lines um so it's it's really got a lot of the the elements of the game which i could measure them at positive body shape receiving across body best angles 360 awareness in a passing pattern however if I remove some of the context that's relevant to the game, I feel that can give me an artificial measurement of quote unquote development because these possession habits are intended, I would hope, to help the players play in the game itself. These aren't just um, these aren't just characteristics that are just that exist for characteristics' sake. They um, should have an intention of improving the game itself, the, the player's ability to play the game. So if I remove that from them and did, all right, we're just going to pass in a box and see how fast we can do it and how well we can do it week one to week eight, I don't think it would give me the same relevant information that just playing four versus four would. Um, and I also figured playing against their own teammates as well would be just a better control um, of the variables than, you know, you play one opponent on the first week and then you play a different opponent on the eighth week. And that's, that's not great for study purposes. Um, they're just different teams present different problems. If it's a really strong team, the first one, and then a very weak team, the eighth week, you know, of course they're going to show. Yeah. 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 The level of competition is always going to have, yeah, some, some variables there. Yeah. Yeah, so I just wanted to control as many of the variables as possible. It's not perfect by any means. This is not, there's no p-values or anything. Like, I'm not doing statistical breakdown, all this stuff. It's just really, just to give a sense of the whole process. Um, and then how, so yeah, you know, so how did that, you know, how did that take place? What does that look like? How long, how long did you do it? Um, you know, what, you know, what was, the, you know, the, the kind of time frame of the, the project? Yeah, so the whole thing was eight weeks. First, very first training session they stepped in. Or actually, I think it was the second training session. First one was more introductory, but second training session, I set up a VO camera and recorded a couple of 15-minute games, um, rotated the players against one another, Um and just sat back and observed because I felt if I, as a coach, were to step in and start coaching, that I would be, um, I would be adding something to the environment that could trigger certain responses, and I didn't want to do that because I wanted to know what the players knew. So if I step like in baseline, and I start right? a baseline, yeah, yeah, and so <clears throat> that's exactly it. So I established a baseline and then compared that same group so same idea i step out of the way eight weeks later we do the exact same thing and then just compare the two things but again if it was really important for me that if i that i stay out of it because if i were to step in and start coaching that would just um that's not again that's not showing me what the players know um because the players need to recognize the cues that are presented from the game and solve those problems and if i step in and give them the answers in that moment it doesn't necessarily prove to me that they know it. Um, so that's kind of how I went about it. They're about 15 minute games each. Um, and then about a week later, I sent out a survey. Once I had all the video data after the first week, I sent out a survey and a kind of a project for the players and the parents to kind of complete. I don't know if you want to jump into that right away, but yeah, no, we'll, yeah, we'll mention, um, the parent, uh, player education piece in a bit, but, uh, just going back to this, like, so after you recorded, what was the, the coaching aspect? So what, you know, how were you coaching them within that, you know, week two to seven, I'm guessing, right? Um, yeah. You know, what, you know, what was the, 
the method of coaching, um, you know, in, 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 you know, during that time, you know, what were you really trying to get out? Obviously, I'm sure it had to do around, you know, the pillars that you mentioned, um, but just talk us through kind of what that looked on a, you know, just um, if someone was to be watching one of those sessions. Yeah, I didn't want to just work on possession habits uh, for the next seven weeks, just so I could, you know, show some awesome data for my master coach project. Um, so I really just tried to go through a lot of the different pillars with each week. Um, and so I think it was, you know, first this week two after our testing week two was possession habits based. So a bit of rondos, bit of build up play, um, from goal kicks. Um, games where you're playing to a target. Um, so that was probably that second week. And then, uh, did an attacking day, which is more one V one, uh, creativity, um, looking to break lines through dribbling, um, two V one. So a bit more directional. And then, uh, next day, next week was defensive, the defensive pillar. And the next one was transition. So I did kind of just follow, I didn't want to overload the idea of possession habits. Now, obviously, within all those games, it was a really games-based approach. So there were elements of possession. There were elements of attacking. So it's obviously all um, overlapping, the ideas. So if there were moments within that training session where I could coach a possession habit, that's that's something that I'm not going to ignore. Um, so that's really kind of what the next – it was, it was a, what I would do, basically, just or certainly at the time what a normal kind of training cycle would be. Um, and this was our fall season, which our fall season is really, it, it is eight weeks. It's very short. Um, and so, you know, you're collecting it during that time, you're having matches, you're collecting information from those matches and you're, you know, kind of implementing some different things. It's like, Oh, we actually kind of really need to work on shooting. Uh, we get, we do a good job. We get all the way to the goal. And then the final action is, you know, not great. So, um, it just kind of went through, there wasn't anything special that I kind of did. It was a games based approach, went through the pillars, designed the sessions off of that. Um, did a little bit of game modeling based on the game, whether it was corner kicks, build up play from goal kicks, throw ins. Um, so that's kind of what the next seven weeks of training looked like. Gotcha. How, how did you embed those? those aspects within the session as you said so is it quite you know it wasn't very specifically based on those aspects then it was just you know when you saw them as you mentioned you would obviously note that um you know for example you know if they didn't receive on the far foot they're receiving on the back foot perhaps a coaching point there um or if you see it as a general issue out of those three aspects you know and this is being very general what were the aspects that the players you felt picked up, you know, a little bit quicker versus um, took a little bit more time to 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 get into because I think this definitely has connotations for youth soccer development, right? Because there are some things that perhaps are perhaps a little bit more natural and a little easier for 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 players who are new to the game to conceptualize and and uh, create into habits, right? So, uh, what did you find, you know, in those aspects about a possession style game. Um, well, that's kind of there's a lot in there um, that triggered a lot of different ideas for me. But and that's go, kind go, of the beauty go, of go, go go any which direction yeah, you want. You know good. what I mean? Because that you know that's what this is. Because uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just fascinated with regards to you know what this means for potentially other coaches and you know what you think that means, right? Because again, um, <clears throat> this might look differently over there to it it does in Tampa or what whatever right so just give me your your own thoughts what do you think yeah I might take you down a little bit of a rabbit hole here I'm but cool there I'm are, cool with rabbit holes um, that's why I'm here <laughs> there are there are a couple of ideas and a couple of coaches um that I've found very influential to my own coaching philosophies um Todd Bean is one um he runs the Tovo Institute in Barcelona. Yep. He's a uh, Cruyff's son-in-law, um, Johan Cruyff's son-in-law. So he worked with him for 17 years. But 
Um, it's a very Rondo position play heavy kind of methodology. Um, but I took a course there, I think it was uh, 2019. Um, I was in Spain, 29, December 2019. So uh, COVID, it was just kind of kind of making its way around. But um, really the biggest idea that I took away from him was the idea of scaffolding, which is, well, there's a couple ideas I took away, but scaffolding is basically like if I run a session, so if I run a 4v2 rondo, and it's, um, let's say, a 4v1 rondo. And I'm observing the players. I'm giving them coaching points. It could be the next training session or a week later. But if I revisit that same exact session, it gives me an opportunity as a coach to step back and see, okay, what ideas are actually sticking? So it's this kind of covert observation. And am I able to move the players on and add a second defender, make the space smaller, whatever it is. So it's, it's kind of this idea of like, how do you incrementally challenge the player once they're getting the ideas and just make the space smaller and smaller and smaller, add more complexity with more players, more teammates, more defenders. Um, so it's just kind of scaffolding your coaching over time. Um, and um, so that's that's kind of an idea that I rely on pretty heavily. I don't have a huge repertoire of different things, different training sessions that I do. It's a lot of core games that I revisit and then add in complexity or add in challenge when I observe some of the <clears throat> some of the behaviors that I want to see and I see them, you know, executed one on their own. So the kids are actually reading the cues by themselves and then. Um, applying the appropriate actions without my intervention. That just tells me that they actually understand what's going on. They actually understand um, what the strategy is and what the tools are. Because if I have to sit there and say, you go there now, you go there now, that doesn't demonstrate. If I'm always stepping in, they haven't, I'm robbing them of the opportunity to actually demonstrate that they understand. Um, <clears throat> Absolutely. So, so ha basically having having moments during, you know, your sessions where it's almost uh, retrieval, right? So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, do you, are you aware of the concept of interleaving where you're, you're yes. going? Yeah. yeah. So you're going from obviously one type of activity to a different type of activity. And then perhaps you come, you know, you go to, you know, 4v1 Rondo into perhaps, you know, a you know, possession to goal, and then you might come back to the 4v1. And the second time you come back, as you're mentioning, you may say very little to see, okay, what have the players retrieved from that from that um, knowledge? And then obviously, if it's improved, then perhaps, as you say, we can scaffold that to now perhaps a 4v2 or 3v3, 3v1 plus one, you know, something that is yeah. more difficult, right? So I, I like that idea. And I think you're definitely thinking along the right terms, right? With regards to player yeah. development, because... Um, yeah, obviously you want to you want to make the challenge harder, but only at the right moments, right? So when they're ready, we may need to take steps backwards as well, right? You know, if we if we if we step too too quickly ahead, uh, we may need to kind of take a couple steps back. So I really really like that that idea. Yeah, and and, and really, what it, it's it's needs based coaching. So it's just like where are the players at? What are the things that they need? So. <laughs> If I'm following a curriculum that's pre-written, we work on X during this week, and it's this big, long periodization, mesocycles, microcycles, all that, that's good for maybe, that's a good thought experiment. But if, if the players aren't there, or if they're not progressing at a certain speed, if I move them on, it's just a mistake. You're just robbing them of the opportunity to demonstrate that they understand and really robbing yourself of an opportunity to be like, because the thing that, you know, it's it's a pretty classic thing. We we work on something all week. We show up to the game and it's like, I don't understand. We worked on this all week. Yeah. Why, why are you? Well, clearly they didn't actually retain the information in a way that they could apply it in a match. Again, that's a different... Different levels of a understanding. A match is different, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Different context, for sure. Yeah. It's really, um, you know, and, and you're now triggering me into loads of different, like, you know loads of different pathways but one thing that really you know sh strikes me is 
the idea of a game model and a curriculum over you know the period of a season and how we think that it's possible with any group of players to go from week one to week whatever 38 um, with exactly that same curriculum right it needs to be constantly readjusted and and as you said have those oh, perhaps have those overarching principles that are pr- present and we have perhaps a you know a continuum from what does this look like from a level one to a level five with regard to difficulty so level one may be doing this in a being able to do this in a passing pattern unopposed with like little to no context of the game versus level five where this is now in a game um, against tough opposition you know on a match day right um, and 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 really our training sessions need to be somewhere between that one and five right where we're you know we're we're developing that. Um, that the understanding of these of these things over time, right? Um, and and as as you said, like uh, you know, what are your thoughts there with regards to you know because you mentioned previously about you know the idea of a game model and you know thinking that it's all it's really good in theory to to have a game model because it's a plan for development of the players. But what are the 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 potential? you know, issues with with that game model and how can it how can it potentially kind of derail us um, to develop the kids, which is, you know, the, the most important thing. Yeah. Um, Again, that's a lot. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, I mean, this is some of the bigger questions that, you know, I'm grappling with all the time. Um, I think a game model, and I'm a bit nervous uh, saying this in a podcast and now, it's published or whatever, because I might change my mind. I, I'm, I'm very open to changing my mind um, when I learn more information. I think it's a mistake not to do so. Um, but where I'm at right now is that a game model, it has different meanings. So it's really important that we define what that means. And when I talk about a game model, I, there are many different ways to define it, but where I think a game model goes wrong is the application of it in the sense that we play a 4-3-3 and this player does this in this moment and this is how we always build up. Maybe not always, but this is, you know, it, it's too rigid of an idea where, um, again, I kind of, I more, and again, some people would have a different idea of what a game where a game model is, but um, I'm not suggesting that that's what I believe a game model is. That's just what I've seen some coaches think of when they think of a game model is like we. I need to yeah. If then if dive. this then this yeah. So it's like yeah, very prescribed, and just map prescribed. out the yeah. yeah yeah and this is a thing that I this is the the thing that I say all the time when a coach presents this idea to me is that. You can't possibly map out every single scenario that ever exists um, in a chess game, which is a, we think of as a pretty rigid game. Uh, the average chess game is forty-ish moves. Um, there are more possible chess games in forty moves than there are atoms in the universe. Jeez. So that's a bit, yeah, I know, pretty shocking. That's that's a very rigid game. So soccer, twenty-two human beings. trying to maneuver a ball in a 360 space like the possibilities are infinite so if i try as a coach to mentally map out every single possible scenario it's just not possible so again it's it's the principles it's the cues it's the triggers it's how does two players beat one how does one player beat one but even those ideas me as a 1v1 dribbler i'm not going to beat anybody i'm just i'm just too slow but if there's my teammates really fat, they, it's a completely different scenario. So if I, as a coach, build a game model that's based on this idea that, you know, everything's preconceived, it's like, okay, when this player actually has a superpower and they can beat someone 1v1, yeah, you might throw them in, the, as a, in a wing position where they can do that, but a game model is just too rigid for me, um, where principles is like, okay, what are you good at and how do we... So you're kind, kind of, of touch, you're kind of touching upon this. That. So you're kind of touching upon this. So what is your um, 
you know, what's your answer then? Like, rather than a game model, <laughs> you're kind of going into it again and again. And, you know, yeah. the, the nature of this is it, there's, there's never going to be a right answer. And probably, if you're thinking in the right terms, this is always going to be evolving, right? This, this question. Yeah. But right now, where are you at with regards? To, and you're kind of alluding to, you know, uh, you know, what is the player in front of you and what are their attributes and strengths, right? That, that's, a, that's a starting point. But like um, within a larger structure now, you're not even developing sessions for a season, but you're developing a, you know, you're focusing on, you know, week of training, right? What is your starting point for planning those sessions to now bring the players closer to development? Like, again, big, big question, but, you know, what's what's a, a, you know, not even a framework, right? But what are some things that, you know, to take into consideration now, you know, outside of that generic game model idea, you know, you know, where do you start? What's your thoughts? Um, where I've returned and, and I was introduced at uh, Minnesota United, the coaches there, some of the most brilliant coaches that I'll probably ever work with. Um, but they were pretty heavily influenced by Raymond Verheyen's work. Um, and... Uh, really the starting point right now for me is, is the game and what is the objective of the game and if you boil it down to its simplest form it's when you're attacking it's go forward and score that's it and on the defensive side it's obviously the opposite it's stop the other team from going forward and stop them from scoring so Knowing that the years, there's this infinite complexity, knowing that players will continue to evolve and have different attributes and different things, it's just this very fluid thing. I just try and step into training sessions and create problems for them to solve. So we might just play 3v3, and I might, it's, it's a constraints led approach, really, but it's sometimes manipulating the method of scoring so how does the game change if there are four mini goals to score on versus one giant goal to score on versus to score i play to a target or i dribble across a line those are going to draw out different solutions different behaviors um different moments for i could just show some solutions um but really the players are going to be the ones that are going to discover their own solutions that are relevant to them. They might be slow. That's going to require them to solve problems differently. They might be able to strike the ball better than others. They might be able to combine better. They might, you know, there's a million different things. Um, so I just try and be a problem setter for the players. Um, and then just demonstrate different solutions, different ideas. I try and draw out their ideas like, Hey, what do you see in this moment? What are some possible ideas? And I just try and walk them through that thought process. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of a games-based approach instead of a, I don't have anything against uh, unopposed training. I think there's a time and a place for it. But for me, it um, doesn't give me the opportunity as a coach to actually see players implementing ideas. If I'm asking them, you have to pass from here to there and then I'll follow your pass. And then that, even if it's super functional, the goalkeeper starts in place, the center back plays here, you know, even if it's like really high tempo, really well executed, just an awesome looking exercise. It doesn't give me the opportunity to see if the players kind of returning to our original point, if they actually understand where a game based approach is like you either score or you don't score. Yeah. You either stop the opponent from scoring or not scoring. I might also manipulate like, okay, I want you to defend uh, man-to-man. How does that change the, the game? I want you to defend in a high press. I want you to defend in the low block. I want you to – asking nine-year-olds to defend in a low, low block is hilarious, by the way. they uh, That is not natural. It's like, no, the ball's right there, coach. I'm going to go get it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but just presenting different problems. Um, I want you to press with one player. I want you to press with three players. I want you to press with – all the players, literally just everybody go, see what happens. Um, and just trying to create, I'm trying to facilitate an environment that presents a barrage of problems. And then I try and tweak them as much as possible and just see what the players come up with. Um, 
that influence that informs me about you know what are some natural tendencies of the players what are some areas that i can maybe help round out some 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 edges um really help uh players think of solutions in different ways um you know every set of every team is going to be a different a, a completely different thing like i can't go in and just presume that i know how this team is going to play yeah. i need so much more information and even then it's just all a guess um Absolutely. so and it evolves over time too you might start the season one way and then end a completely different way so i'm so much more flexibility within that, right? Uh, it can yeah, it's super every, flexible. Because it's based on the needs of the players, as you're mentioning, right? Uh, so can yeah. we take him closer to the end goal, which is to, to improve, right? To, 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 to get better at what they're good at, right? So I think it's also a strength-based approach, right? Where, you know, we're not saying that, as you said, um, a left winger, you know, um, who doesn't like to dribble 1v1 is more of a combination player. We're not putting them into boxes of key qualities, which I see a lot of, to be like, okay, you need to be this type of player because, you know, a winger needs to beat players. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's a much more flexible approach, um, which I'm definitely, um, you know, in line with for sure. But no, I think that's fascinating. Um, Just to bring us in, because I think we could talk about this all day Mm. and I could Mm. definitely. Um, So talk to us about your findings with regards to, you know, so how did that, eight-week approach improve player performance over that, that time, specifically talking about receiving on the far foot, scanning before receiving, and that open body orientation. Um, and then link that to how you kind of linked that to the to the parent education piece. So how did you present that to the parents um, and the players to get them to understand, okay, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it kind of thing. Sure. Um, well, I'll just kind of go chronologically. So week one, we did we did the testing, um, just videoed the players playing 4v4. And then I went, I collected all that video. Um, and at the same time that I was collecting all the data, because it did take me a while, I basically sent out the videos to the parents as well and just said, here's the criteria. What I, this is, I basically put them through the exact same steps that I was doing. Here's what receiving with the far foot looks like. Here's what scanning looks like. And I just clipped up a couple of examples and just said, you and your player sit down. Um, I wasn't looking for them to give me any data. I just wanted their impression. So really, I would only send them like one 15-minute thing. I wasn't going to ask them to watch as much film as I did. That was a nightmare. Um, So I just had them kind of go through the same process that I was going. And it was just using the the fusion pillars, um, which again is what was existing at the club at the time and just all right every time you're watching yourself play kids uh every time you're about to receive the ball did you scan did you scan before receiving it so just watch the video did you look over your shoulder or not um and had them go through the same process uh after collecting all the data um so i did it for all the players um, receiving with the far foot improved. I have the stats in front of me. Receiving with the far foot improved by uh, 69% of the players improved. Uh, scanning before receiving was 75% of players improved. Open body orientation, 75% improved. Good supporting position, 63% of players improved. Um, so the team results... Um, there's an increase in support of about 20% far foot, uh, 25% scanning was about 20%. Open body was about 15%. So I just, it's very crude, um, honestly, but it's just an attempt to be objective with my analysis and to kind of pull players and parents into that same process. These are the things that we feel are important as a club. And here is actual objective video of your player either doing it or not doing it. Um, and so I just kind of got some feedback from the players and parents. Um, I also asked them to set some goals as well. Um, so after watching that first round of videos, what's of these of these pillars, player 
G, what do you want to improve on? Um, uh, I want to improve on receiving with my far foot or whatever. So they're just setting some goals. Again, these are, these are eight-year-olds. Um, and so it's just something to keep in the back of their mind. And then the next time we, we play, um, you know, just kind of see if they actually improve those things. Um, just got some comments from the players. Just that's not another opportunity as a coach where I can get some information about what are the parents feeling. Um, I did get one interesting comment that was, that was basically, I don't know. Here, I'll read it for you. I don't know if I agree with the pillars because how is he supposed to pass the ball if his teammates are in the way? That's actually probably true. Uh, <laughs> U, U9 boys soccer. Um, Absolutely. Hopefully this is something that you will work on for the season. But my, my son enjoyed watching the videos. He said they were helpful. So it's even just giving me some insight into how the parents are thinking about these things. Um, yeah. And just like, is this something I need to address or how, what? What needs more clarity? Um, so that's kind of how I tied the parents into it as well. Because again, the, the gap analysis is not just for me and how do I be more objective. It's also about how do I make sure that the players understand what we're looking for and what quote unquote development is at, at the time Fusion Soccer Club development, how we defined it. Um, and how, and if the parents understand it and can actually see it in action because without kind of that process in place tends to just be well we lost a bunch of games so therefore my kid isn't learning or we won a bunch of games therefore my kid is learning and it's just not those ideas are correlated perhaps but it is not causality um so just because you win a game doesn't mean that you got better at soccer, got better at development. And again, using the fusion pillars, got better at possession habits. Maybe you just punted the ball up the field and scored a bunch of goals. Absolutely. But you didn't get better at possession habits, again, if we feel that that's important. So Fantastic. No, that's great. I think, uh, again, uh, just bringing that all together with the parent education piece, I think just made that all the more interesting because I think, as you say, we have a, you know, another one of the aspects is the parental understanding of the game, right? Because maybe we're getting through to the players, but if that there's a conflict with the um, message, right, between what we're telling them and what their parents are telling them, just because of a perceived understanding that they don't they don't understand what we're trying to get to. I don't, you know, I don't think coaches or directors do enough to help parents in that process to understand. You know how can you support your 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 son or daughter, right? Um, and and it, as you said, that two way dialogue is really important because we can begin to understand you know where the gaps in understanding are, and um, we can perhaps you know aid them in different ways, um, as you said by you know whether that be through video, showing them video, and um, allowing them to be more involved in that development process, but also just that two way communication, you know. Um, yeah. So really just to close tell us what your next step is just with regards to you know the project uh, as a whole and you know there's so many different ways that this could go probably but what would be the next most important thing that you know you would like to perhaps um look into that would perhaps give you a little bit more understanding of this of this process and 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 you know developing um young players what would you look at next um <laughs> Yeah, and I know we we'd spoken a little bit about this um, before, but um, I actually kind of want to take it in a different direction. I'm now stepping into a coach education role, and so now I'm on kind of the opposite side of this, like trying to figure out what I feel is important, and then how do I educate 106, I think 106, mostly parent volunteer coaches, these same ideas. And if I believe in this, uh, a game model is maybe easier um to teach in mass um but i believe in a more flexible approach and just setting problems for players and so my next challenge is how do i build something like this at scale and then teach coaches kind of the same idea of this needs-based approach where you might it might not be as objective as taking video that would be ideal but i 
I don't think we have the budget for 106 VO cameras. <laughs> um, or does anybody have time to actually do this process? But um, how do you build in a needs-based approach? Um, another person I wanted to bring up earlier was uh, Mark Bennett. Um, he runs this thing called PDS Coaching, and it is genuinely brilliant. Um, the thing that I use the most is, is the rule of three. And really what it is, is it's just, it's reversing coach interventions, the, the process of coach intervention. So usually the process is, is I see a mistake, I step in, I look to correct, um, and then we say, okay, go ahead. Where the rule of three is, it's um, the coach is actually the last person in the chain of intervention, where if we've pre-agreed to certain standards, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing his work, which is, his work is brilliant, but I'm no expert. Um, if we've pre-agreed to certain standards, so it's, hey, uh, wherever possible, receive with the far foot. Again, I like a little bit more flexibility with that, but maybe for that session or that activity, in this activity, wherever possible, receive with the far foot. Okay, so the rule of three notes, um, now that we've established that criteria, we've discussed why that's important. Oh, it, it allows us to see more of the field. I can, you know, change my mind and go back that same way, but now it also allows me to go forward, sideways, dribble, whatever. We've, we've gone through that whole process. We've discussed it, normal coaching points. But now, as they're playing, I'm observing. And if a player now receives with the near foot instead of the far foot, in a moment that I feel that they could have received with the far foot, I'm just observing and seeing, one, if they recognize that they should have received with a far foot. Could be some body language. Um, and now I'm waiting. Instead of jumping in in that moment, I'm just watching the next time they receive. It's a near foot again. That tells me that they don't quite get it. So they haven't corrected it at level one, which is the player. So as I'm playing, it's my responsibility to meet those standards. If I don't, level two is my teammate is allowed and encourage it's actually their responsibility to help coach me if they understand it so did they see me make that mistake quote unquote mistake did they see me receive with the near foot um when i should have received with my far foot if they did and they recognized it but they didn't say anything they're not doing their job if they didn't recognize it then now i know that player also doesn't understand it and so then that might be a moment for the coach to step in and say okay and there's variety of different ways that you can have this intervention but okay why am i stopping the session anybody see it and you just process where they're at with the with it and it might be okay here's what happened you received with the near foot twice you didn't say anything you didn't say you didn't say anything so now it's my job to step in to correct and really the goal is to be um to limit that intervention as much as possible because if i'm not in the picture and they're executing to the standard that we agreed to they know it by definition. Yeah. Um, where if I'm always stepping in and robbing them of that opportunity, one, to correct it themselves, or two, more importantly, their teammates, I'm robbing them of these moments where to demonstrate their knowledge, but also to actually apply some leadership and teach one another and actually reinforce their own knowledge. So really the goal of the whole system is to make the coach redundant. Yeah. Where... If I'm not even there, say I'm at uh, a conference and it's an assistant coach running the match, everything still happens according to the standards that we pre-agreed to because we built in this system where I'm responsible for myself, I'm responsible for my teammates, and then finally the coach is responsible. But our goal is never to reach this point. It's not Absolutely. a bad thing if we do. It just means we need more help. But our goal is to exist in this space. So Fantastic. That's great. I think... Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm trying to implement that at scale. Um, I might take so some time. Really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. Um, it's really hard to do. Um, but it's kind of easy with some things like, all right, water breaks are 30 seconds. That one's really easy to implement. Kids understand that. When I'm speaking as a coach, uh, you're not. Your your body is kind of So standards, standards like, and things yeah. like that, yeah. And it's just clearly defining expectations and allowing players to meet it or not meet it and then putting in a process yeah. if they don't. Great. Um, I think that's, that rule that's, of three I'm definitely going to be taking a look at because I think that player-centred approach, as we've spoken about the whole 
um, of this kind of podcast, you know, is at the center of that, um, you know, of the development process, right? So are we put in the player at the center of development, we giving them opportunities to practice the things that they're going to um, need in the game. And then are we, you know, are we also including the parents in that process? So I think that's a fantastic way to end the podcast, Justin. Listen, um, why don't you let us know how we can keep track of you? I don't know if you're um, prevalent at all on social media, like uh, Twitter or LinkedIn or anything like that. But if anyone wants to kind of keep track of, you know, where th- these rabbit holes are going, because I think uh, I definitely yeah. will. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not particularly active on... I have a LinkedIn. I've pretty much deleted all my social media. Um, I was very active on Twitter for a while there, um, but it, it kind of descended quite a bit <laughs> Fair enough. um so but uh, i am on linkedin um i don't post a lot of stuff um but i i love 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 connecting with coaches and learning new ideas and listening to podcasts reading books and really like if i could have conversations like this all the time i would i quite making me quite jealous of that you have a podcast <laughs> but that's what i mean podcast, like, but... and and for the listeners uh justin was a bit you know like not like he didn't jump in both feet right because he didn't know what to expect hadn't done a podcast before but now do you know what i mean like these this is why i do the podcast this is why i do the podcast it's because you know you get to learn and you get to put this out in the world right i think uh it's incredible so we'll definitely have to do a part two um you know as we go um but i just wanted to say thanks um you know on behalf of all the listeners and um you know we'll we'll uh talk again soon um um i'm sure all right justin yeah absolutely thank you this thanks been, so much uh, man. quite a joy appreciate it of course i'm going to defend you until the last day in our lives in the press conference but here i'm going to tell you the truth so he's not the biggest the fastest or the smartest so how does the lion Become the king of the jungle. His mentality. Join us on our journey to educate and develop the current and next generation of coaches. Our staff strives to achieve our mission to give the game back to the players. One coach at a time. Visit www.coachedsoccer.com for all your coach education needs.